Welcome to Flock Tales, where we drink and talk about birds, mostly. I'm Maya Pershing. I'm Kristen Brunk. I'm Jen Schneiderman. And I'm Ashley Ola. And we are your four resident bird nerds, and it's ladies' night, and it's feeling right. (laughs) Oh, what a night. Isn't it ladies' night every night, since it's the four of us? Well, yeah, but this one's about women in yes. our episode today is about uh bipoc women ornithologists and more broadly bipoc women stem pe- bipoc slash not cis we're doing all the people that are not cis heterosexual <laughs> white men <laughs> yes <laughs> and we're excited yes. about it mm-hmm. we are you should be excited too Hands down. Yeah, dude. Um, so yeah, March is International Women's Month, and we missed Black History Month because we're bad at planning things. Uh, because we, we took four weeks to record four episodes about boobies. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do Why better did I next say year. It that way? <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was good. It was beautiful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, I'm such a fan. <laughs> oh, I was just going to tell a completely unrelated to anything story that happened to me right before we started recording this podcast. Do yeah. it. Oh my god, do it. Tell me well, it's, not, it's not that good of a story. Uh, we were walking the dogs and I wasn't paying attention because John and I were talking and then I felt a warm feeling on my foot and Milo was Ooh. peeing on my foot. Oh no! And what it made me dick. sad. <laughs> what a dick! Yeah, I was pretty mad at him. Milo, was he just it. not paying attention, or were you not paying attention? Did you like put your foot where he was peeing? Or? Nah, dude, my foot was there oh. first. Mm. Okay, he just has bad aim, or he was trying to pee on me. I think I was more like, uh, not the the target. Yeah. Okay, um, but, like, I don't think they can see themselves when they're peeing, right? So it's probably just bad aim. Yeah, I've mm. seen him pee on his own paws before, too. Yeah, they <laughs> do that. Lift? Yeah, he lifts. But sometimes he gets distracted and stops lifting and then pees on his front paws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our oh dog, my God. Our, our boy dog growing up would do that, too. What? Yeah. What is what is wrong with your dog? Yeah, I is think this he's common? Just, <laughs> he's just they're... easily distracted. Yeah, and they have bad aim. Yeah. <laughs> just like human men. <laughs> Fortunately, the one that lives in my house has good aim. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine too, luckily. But I've been around people who don't, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a college roommate that I don't talk to anymore, so I feel comfortable telling this story. But he would pee and flush the toilet while he was peeing so that it wouldn't go all the way down. It was really strange. So there's always like a little bit of pee in the toilet. It was very odd. Oh, like he just jumped the gun? No, like he would flush as he was peeing. Like Like it was very purposeful. But why? Like what? What's what's the purpose? I have no idea. Yeah, I had a very similar roommate, and he tried to explain it as a time-saving thing, and I was like, it does not take what? actual time out of your life to flush the toilet. <laughs> not right. even. Nah. No. <laughs> I mean, I could see if it's like a letting the yellow mellow thing, like, maybe that's something, but like, yeah. you're still flushing, so what's the point? Right, yeah. right. It was kind of bizarre. Yeah, I, I never asked him his reasonings behind mm. doing that, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure mm. I can attest to it. Yeah, that's a level to be at, to be able to ask that question. <laughs> it was a problem in our house. <laughs> he also, I swear to God, just like closed his eyes and peed like near the toilet. <laughs> uh, 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 oh, crap. Anyways, not sorry. okay. <laughs> Okay, pee in the toilets, everybody. PSA, pee in the toilet. And if you miss, if you miss, it's okay. Just clean up after yourself and yeah, don't make yeah. someone else, like probably the woman in your life, clean up after you because you're a grown-ass mm-hmm. adult. Exactly. Yeah. 
I have a house rule that I will not touch anybody else's bodily fluids except for my own. I don't care what they are. I'm just not touching them. Mm -hmm. Like, you throw up, that's your deal. You better fucking clean it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a good rule. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why there's a a cross-stitch thing in my guest room that says, uh... If you fuck, put the sheets in the wash because I don't want to touch your bodily fluids that are on my sheets. Yeah. It's cross-stitched. I love it. It is. Yes. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to grab it for you because it's literally right here. I want to see it. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. See? It looks like like a grandma made it. Wow. That's amazing. But like your cool grandma... Yeah, right? Oh, fuck yeah. Wait, I have a cross-stitch so. thing in my room that's just a little bird, and it has a little speech bubble, and it says, fuck you, fear. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That makes me happy. That's so cute. Oh my god, cross-stitching. Who knew? I know. That was like mm-hmm. one of the quarantine hobbies I was hoping to pick up that hasn't happened yet, but there's still time. Mm. A little bit. Just a little bit, because vaccines time. are coming, totally. y'all. But. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah! So exciting. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening and you have the opportunity to get a vaccine, you should get it. Do it. <laughs> yes, it please. doesn't matter which one you get. Get a vaccine. Do mm-hmm. it. Do, do it. it. Do it. <laughs> mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And that's our PSA for the night. Well, we will have more. I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Pee in a toilet. Don't flush too soon. And get your vaccine. <laughs> Clean up your bodily fluids. (laughs) And or if you cross-stitch cool things, send us photos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love to see that. I want one that says, um, don't do coke in the bathroom. (laughs) Why would you put it in my bathroom? Mm -hmm. Okay. I was about to ask why anyone would do drugs in a bathroom, and then I figured... By the time you get to the point of doing drugs in the bathroom, you probably don't care about what sort of germs you are ingesting as you mm-hmm. do said drugs. So, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Unless there's a cross-stitched reminder not to. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty good. Should we, should we talk about... <laughs> Yeah, we should probably. Yeah. This okay. is not related to what we're doing at all today. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we said that we are going to talk about uh, mostly BIPOC women in STEM today, and particularly in ornithology. And I wanted to remind our listeners, if we have any very dedicated listeners who have been with us since episode, like, two or three, (laughs) we, a long time ago, did an episode about badass historic women birders, and at that time, we mentioned that we had this, like, mad scramble to try to find any BIPOC women, and we just couldn't. And we were, like, really horrified about it. And so we highlighted for white women and still felt like they had so many things to overcome in the field. And so we just kind of wanted to revisit that a little bit and talk about maybe why it's so hard for for Black women in particular to have this, like, scientific legacy that can be traced back to the 17 and 1800s. Um, and so actually today I wanted to start by talking about Harriet Tubman who you would not think of as a birder. However, there's some really cool um, things in her history that I think are super relevant here. Um, In particular, kind of getting back to the truth of like why Black women were not writing scientific papers in the 1800s about birds. Um, Harriet Tubman was a, a conductor on the Underground Railroad, which means she was, like, fighting for her life and helping other people escape slavery and get to freedom. And so she has this really extensive natural history knowledge, but it was put to use for this, like, survival. Um, And so not something that you think about necessarily, like, in the traditional sense of the field of ornithology. Um, Harriet Tubman was born probably in 1822, although the exact date is a little bit sketchy. Um, But in March of 1822, so if that's true, she would be 199 today. Um, Jeebus Kreebus. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and she was born into slavery in Maryland. She uh, spent a lot of her youth in slavery um, in this really cool kind of like wetland, swampland, forest complex. And so she was obviously doing you know, slave labor as a child and so sent out into these places to forage for food and like in particular um, trap muskrats out in the swamps. And so from a young age, she just like knew a lot about the species, the wild species that lived around there especially the bird calls. Um, she was just really known for being able to mimic bird calls very well. Okay, but that anyway. totally reminds me, like, have you been around people who just pick up bird calls like that? Like, it is absolutely incredible to me. Like, for some people, the bird calls just come so naturally, whereas, like, me, I have to work. I mean, everyone, I'm sure, has to work hard at it to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But for some people, it comes so naturally, and it's so magical to watch them learn bird calls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. It's like a sense that, I mean, I guess it is like the auditory sense can just be so much more developed in some people. It's really cool to see that. Um, When Harriet Tubman was 12, she tried to protect um, an enslaved man who had attempted to escape. Um, And his the slave master, I guess, for both of them at the time, threw a, a two pound weight at him and she like intercepted it when she was 12 years old and it hit her in the head. And so she had like this really like long history of like honestly like mild brain damage from that like she had um really severe headaches and narcolepsy for the rest of her life and <laughs> so just like wild to think about like that you know compounding everything else that that she did um mm-hmm. when she was 27 she and two of her brothers um learned that they were going to be sold to a different plantation and so they ran away um on foot during the night and um, kind of joined the Underground Railroad that had already started at that time. So a network of like safe houses and kind of like routes through the forest from Maryland up to Pennsylvania and into Philadelphia. She returned the next year, which is like pretty rare for people that have like actually made it out of this really awful (laughs) slave situation. She returned and rescued um, her sister and her sister's children and then returned later for another brother. She returned a third time for her husband. She had gotten married while she was a slave um, and he had actually remarried. And so at that point, she just started taking like other other slaves, other people that she knew. Um, Wow. Yeah. And it kind of kicked off the start of these series of um, 13 to 19, depending on the source, different trips back and forth from the south to the north. Um, where she rescued over the course of her life any like up to 300 slaves are some of the estimates. Wow. Um, oh my gosh that's crazy so, yeah yeah this just really intense life where she was constantly you know trying to um kind of outsmart a lot of people who were looking for her because she was really infamous by the end i think there was a forty thousand dollar reward <laughs> on her and so she had to like wow. like she was illiterate and that was known so she would oftentimes like pretend to be reading if someone was watching her um, or she would, if she was with a group of people, she was trying to help get to the north. They would all switch and like walk south if someone saw them. And there's just so many little oh, wow. little tricks and things that just make you really think about her reality and how much was at stake there. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk about the natural history layer involved in the Underground Railroad. And um, yeah, just kind of paint this picture of like traveling at night through these swamps and forests with a group of people. And first of all, just surviving in the forest, like knowing she was a really, a really good herbalist, I guess, and uh, would forage for wild foods to feed everyone on the way and like, you know, like treat, <laughs> treat illnesses and injuries. Um, oh, my God. But she also had a series of uh, bird calls that she would imitate. I think mostly barred owls was kind of the main go to one. And so she would use these calls to communicate with the people she was leading because it's a sound that would blend in so well to the swamp that no one would think it was actually a group of people communicating through these bird sounds. She also, she was kind of um, an astronomer, as were many people at that time, and navigated by this whole network of stars. Um, And also rivers. I didn't think about this so much, but escaping slaves were often just tracked by dogs. And so she would use this like wild network of like walking through rivers to mask the scent trail and like navigating these really intense places um 
all as part of the Underground Railroad. That is wild. Yeah. I, I just can't even fucking fathom. But mm-hmm. also, it makes me think, I mean, so, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of conversations, especially recently, about, like, white conservationists and just in general, like, white people and whether, like, historical white people should be judged by the standards of the time or whether they should be judged by the standards of today and like Mm -hmm. i'm sorry but there is no fucking way that you could look at slavery even back then and feel like this is right like yeah this is okay like those are fucking human beings that's so Mm -hmm. fucking fucked up like it should have been pretty obvious that it was wrong from the get-go yeah 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 absolutely (sighs) and so it's just such a different perspective because we've talked before about like white women facing these struggles um like publishing or getting a job or having you know mentors in the field and like those are really real issues too and that really sucks but like also this was going on in the background at the same time and I think that's so important to keep in mind just like the disparity especially Mm -hmm. during the time leading up to the civil war yeah This is harking so much to hood feminism, which we're reading in book club right now, and how poverty and hunger and all of these other issues are all feminist issues. Mm -hmm. It's all connected. Because we also need another excuse to spend more time together, aside from (laughs) this and going on burning trips. And (laughs) I mean, we do. We two of you left the office, and then we have not. We had lockdown for a year, and mm-hmm. then Kristen <gasps> might be leaving in a while, and uh, <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> gonna be me all alone in my office with no. some other random I'll be, people. Yeah. Nah, I'll be here in Wisconsin. I know, I know. But we literally <laughs> spent five days a week together for eight hours mm-hmm. or more, and now we're not so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having withdrawals. It's anyway. True. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways. Anyway, I have one last thing about Harriet Tubman because I didn't know this and I don't know if this is like a failing of me forgetting history things or just that I was literally never taught this. But Harriet Tubman was the first woman to lead an armed expedition in war. Did you guys know what? that? Yeah. Uh-uh. Yes. I did not. <laughs> Yeah, she she was a guide because she was so amazing at you know, like tracking and being able to move through the forest undetected. And um, so during the Civil War, she worked for the Union Army first as like a cook and a nurse. Then it became apparent that she had these like incredibly useful skills. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she guided uh, the raid at Combahee. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Ferry. Combahee. Humby fairy. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Enunciated very, way uh, too southern, many syllables in there. That's <laughs> nah, a very southern pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that raid ended up liberating 700 enslaved people. And so wow. her Shit. yeah, her contributions mm. to just like yeah, like human <laughs> justice basically and freedom is so incredible and just so immediate and direct and I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about like how she related to natural history too is not it wasn't necessarily a thing that she was like studying through this lens of like you know like a scientist and then like the other of like the world around you but like she was just totally mm-hmm. living it and, and depending on mm-hmm. it and yeah it's pretty incredible i'm sitting here thinking about like how difficult some natural history aspects can be and i can't even imagine trying to like decipher so much of the ecology around you and like knowing so much about the kind of terrain that you're in and what to expect from an ecosystem Mm -hmm. like while you're escaping people that want to kill and enslave you yeah like that extra layer on top is just like so unimaginable Mm -hmm. for for me i mean that's fucking i know it really is can you imagine the contributions that she could have made to science if it yeah. wasn't for fucking racism and fucking slavery and uh, yeah. she should have been able to just live a life, a normal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fucked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Shit's fucked. Mm-hmm. Shit's fucked. It's still yep. fucked. It's slowly maybe starting to get unfucked. 
yeah Maybe. yeah <laughs> little by little um, mm-hmm. we have a long way to go and I think especially now like I've been thinking lately about how important like mentors are in the field of ecology mm-hmm. and like especially just representation in other other like in academia like looking back at like even now as like the grad student age to like professors like it's so important to feel like you're represented in that Mm -hmm. group too and then to try to look back through history and be like well there's literally no black women to look up to and like in that way in academia and it's just like Mm -hmm. my god (laughs) yeah pretty rough yeah so that was kind of a dark place to start, but also Harriet Tubman's <laughs> really fucking cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I have mm-hmm. kind of an uplifting take uh, oh, good. <laughs> for my section today. <laughs> awesome. So I'm going to talk about Black Birders Week, which is not a person uh, or I mean, it's kind of an organization, but it is, it was an event. It will hopefully be an annual event. Okay, I'll just start. So (laughs) Black Birders Week was inspired by a racist incident at Central Park, um, which a lot of you have probably seen the videos of if you're a birder. This was kind of a huge thing in the birding community. Basically, there was a black birder birding in Central Park. Um, He came across a white woman whose dog was not on a leash, which is against the rules. Um, Also, keep your dogs on fucking leashes because they really disrupt breeding birds and ecosystems, etc. And Um, they also just mm -hmm. disrupt other people enjoying the same space as you're enjoying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so he mm-hmm. politely asked her to put her dog on a leash and obey the rules, and she called the police on him and claimed that he was threatening her and basically, like, weaponized her whiteness. White womanhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, the response to this was Black Birders Week. Um, and I mean, it, it was inspired by this event, but I think even more so, it was just kind of inspired by a lack of diversity in the outdoors and an understanding that the outdoors haven't historically been a safe place for Black folks or any people of color, really, um, including Indigenous people as well, any BIPOC folks, really. Um, And I mean, even ranging all the way back to like Aldo Leopold and John Muir and Gifford Pinchot and some of the earliest conservationists who a lot of white people I feel like hold as these heroes. I mean, a lot of the time conservation was kind of viewed as a means to protect wilderness so that it could only be used by certain groups of people, and usually that was white people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a weird juxtaposition mm-hmm. of like valuing biodiversity while shunning like actual human diversity, which doesn't make yeah. any sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were all hardcore eugenicists, which is like also super weird. Yeah, yeah, it's horrifying to think about. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they extended this desire to keep things for only certain people that, yeah, like basically white supremacy and, oh, yeah, eugenics, which is really fucked. And we know now that most of it is based on (laughs) bunk science, too. So, yeah, anyway, that's fucked. And Black Birders (laughs) Week is awesome and aiming to change our perceptions about how we view wilderness and how we view who belongs in wilderness. Um, Yeah, so it... It ran from May 31st to June 5th, 2020. So an awful year, but an awesome event that happened during (laughs) that year. (laughs) Probably one of the best things to happen that year. Yeah. Um, And basically, it was a hashtag on Twitter and Instagram, hashtag Black Birders Week. You should look it up. There's still a lot of really cool content available. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically, through that event and others this year, it highlighted like research carried out by Black birders, the happiness that Black birders find in nature, as well as the racism that they experience on a really regular basis and the importance of inclusivity in the outdoors. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was organized by a group of more than 30 people all kind of pitching in to figure out how this event was going to work. And a lot of them belong to the Black AF in STEM collective, which is really cool. If you don't follow them on Twitter, you should. They also have a really nice website. Um, But yeah, so they planned it over like text and Zoom and shared documents. And a lot of people volunteered their time to make the event really cool. Um, And they had five different kind of like hashtags that were associated. They had 
hashtag black in nature, um, hashtag post a bird, which is basically just everyone involved, <laughs> like posting cool birds that they saw that day. Um, they had a two hour Q and a with black birders called hashtag ask a black birder. Um, I think my favorite event of the week was hashtag birding while black. And they live streamed two just like two sessions of this amazing discussion with awesome panelists. Um, there were like three hours of content in one panel. They had Christian Cooper, who was the black birder in central park. Um, who was kind of accosted by this white woman. And then they had Dr. Drew Lanham, who I have a total ornithology crush on um, in the second (laughs) session. And actually, those videos are all still available through both the Black AF and STEM Collective website and then also via National Audubon Society's Facebook page. Um, And they're just really moving and powerful and eye-opening, especially for white people who really need that kind of content. Um, Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the last day they had hashtag black women who bird and it was all about these women who are super into birding and how they're changing the birding landscape for the better. Um, yeah, so there were a lot of reasons to have Black Birders Week. Um, basically, a lot of people feel and I think it's true that basically what happened to Christian Cooper in Central Park could easily deter any young black person who's interested in natural science and conservation from kind of pursuing those interests. Um, And nature and the outdoors have historically been depicted as majority white spaces. And by demonstrating that black people enjoy these spaces too, um, they're hoping to encourage emerging birders and scientists to pursue those passions. And that was basically uh, just then uh, my own take on a quote from Karina Newsom, who was one of the organizers of Black Birders Week. And so, yeah, the first goal was kind of to inspire Black and Brown birders, especially young people who are interested in the field. But the second goal was also to educate the bird community and the broader, like, outdoor-loving community about the the challenges that Black birders specifically face. So educating white people. Um, And I Mm -hmm. mean, the stuff that these people have encountered, like, overt hatred and racism Mm -hmm. in the field. And I mean way too often they're the only black person or the only person of color in a group when they go out birding, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. which would be so hard. I mean, it's hard to introduce yourself to people that you don't know. Generally, I can't imagine being the only person who looks like you in a new group Mm -hmm. of people, Mm -hmm. especially in birding where I feel like there's also kind of an age dynamic too. Like, yeah, I feel like yeah. a lot of the time the group is led by like an old white man and like that's awesome that they love birds too but like sometimes as a young birder you can get discounted as far as like people just don't think you know anything because you're young and that's tough mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and if you're young and black I imagine it's twice as tough or more yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and so the third goal was to encourage increased diversity in birding and in conservation um And yeah, Karina Newsom had another great quote. Um, She says, think about the biological importance of diversity at any level, genetic all the way up to whole ecosystems. Um, Homogeneity sets organisms and systems up for failure. And it's the Mm. same for birding and the conservation movement, which is Mm. such a poignant quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is an amazing analogy that I feel like so many people can connect to. Mm -hmm. It's just like a base. Mm Ah. That's a really, I've never thought about it like that. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Black Birders Week garnered literally worldwide media coverage, which is fucking huge. (laughs) Um, It included features in National Geographic and Scientific American and Forbes. Um, And they also like basically kind of collaborated with National Audubon Society and the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Um, So there's a lot of media attention. And that was really great because you can only imagine how many black and brown kids were out there watching and were inspired by that and seeing people that look like them out in these fields that have traditionally not been, I guess, marketed towards them. There's probably a better Mm -hmm. way to say that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. So I have like several shout outs. There were so many people who organized this event and I can't name everyone. Um, we, we we can share a lot of their Twitters um, and you should totally 
be following these people and amplifying these people. There's a lot of really cool, unique voices. Um, so we'll share those on our website. But uh, mm-hmm. some of my favorites, like people that I've kind of been following for a while and have been into, Erin um, McGee. I don't know if y'all follow her. She's at Afro underscore Herper on Twitter. Yes. Um, yeah, she's so cool. <laughs> so she's her. a Herper. She's a science communicator. Um, she's also a PhD student at the University of Arizona, and she's researching the impacts of climate change on lizards in the southwestern United States. Um, but she also serves as a Doris Duke Conservation Scholars graduate student mentor, which basically like the goal is to increase the diversity of scientists engaging in conservation work. And so she's like mentored different students through the process of like designing a research project and collecting data and analyzing the data and like creating a poster to present at a conference. Um, So it's this really cool event where you're basically like mentored through the process of becoming a scientist. Um, She also has this really fun SciComm event through Twitter. And if y'all follow her, I'm sure you've seen it. It's hashtag find that lizard. Uh, And so she like (laughs) posts a photo. Usually it's like a photo that just looks like a bunch of like rocks and dirt in the desert. (laughs) And the goal is to find the lizard. And then like, I think it's like 24 hours or I don't remember how many hours it is. But then she like shows you where it is and tells you about like the kind of lizard that it is. And it's cool for me as a bird because I know nothing about lizards. Uh, but it's super fun and it's a really cool uh, way to approach SciComm, like making it a game mm-hmm. um, yeah that's yeah. awesome it's so fun mm-hmm. highly recommend uh, I've spent like way too much time staring at photos trying to find lizards <laughs> um, <laughs> worth it so she was named one of Forbes 30 under 30 scientists for all the work Ooh. that she's done conducting <gasps> outreach in SciComm and it's just really fucking cool that they recognized all the awesome work that she's done that um, is nice amazing that is so cool yeah she also via twitter i learned that she's getting really into throwing pottery on the wheel which is one of my all-time favorite activities that i suck at and she's already like ten thousand times better than me at it but it's just really cool to like see someone like i don't know because she was posting her stuff like at the very beginning when it was like kind of lopsided and i was like that's just how my stuff still looks and now her stuff is like perfect and amazing but oh my god yeah it's really fun (laughs) I'm just so impressed that also she's a PhD student during all of this incredible, like, world-changing stuff that she's doing. Yeah, dude. Mm -hmm. That was one of the notes that I had about all of these women is that most of them are in various capacities scientists. Like, some of them work for the government and some of them are PhD students. And, like, I just am a, a PhD student also right now. And I feel so stressed out all the time already and so busy. And they're <laughs> stretching themselves to be in SciComm and to already be mentors for students in high school and college and try mm-hmm. to make sure that there are black and brown role models for students who are younger and look like them. Um, and it's just so incredible to me the amount that they've done to make the outdoors accessible and to make careers in science accessible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so cool i have like a lot more people i was gonna talk about (laughs) i feel like i'm going (laughs) on and on but um i did want to mention karina newsom who i've already kind of mentioned she's at hood underscore naturalist on twitter she's also a phd student um, but she's at georgia southern university and she's studying the role of climate change and predation on mcgillivray's seaside sparrows Um, But she's also just such an incredible science communicator. She's like one of the most eloquent people I feel like that I've ever heard speak. Um, (laughs) So cool. She has a BO, a BA um, in zoology and wildlife biology from Malone University. And she's also worked at like several different zoos. Um, She worked at the Philadelphia Zoo, at the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, and then she was an ambassador animal keeper at the Nashville Zoo. And she also just straight up developed a program called the Pathway to Animal Care Careers Program at the Nashville Zoo um, and served as the director of the Malone University Wildlife Careers Program. And basically the goal of both of those was to provide career exposure to high school students from low income backgrounds in animal Mm -hmm. care or wildlife careers 
which is really cool. Amazing. Damn. That's yeah. also, her research just found <laughs> that fish will predate these sparrow nests because of sea level rise in the salt marshes. Oh my god. So there's this like novel predation happening, which well, is crazy. Well, I totally Damn. missed that. That's so cool. Yeah. That I mean, insane. not for the sparrows, though. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> sure. not cool for the sparrows, but it's, like, really cool research. Oh, my God. Yeah, just, like, shit you never think about with climate change. But mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. How do people have all this fucking time, though? It's still, like, blowing my mind how... Mm -hmm. as a grad student you can have time for all of this stuff i suppose you make the time Mm -hmm. i suppose so yeah yeah it's that's really impressive well i think it also speaks to like i feel like we ask bipoc people to do more than we ask white people to do as people in academia you know like if Mm -hmm. there's a diversity committee we like hit up the black person in the department to be on that committee Mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, we're way overextending those people, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. we need more BIPOC folks in academia, and we need to remove mm-hmm. a lot of historical <laughs> barriers that are there to those people participating. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. White people do better is the moral of this story. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Karina Newsom was awarded Inverse Magazine's Future 50 Forces for Good in the 2020s. Nice. Oh, pretty cool. Sweet. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there were just so many amazing women involved in planning Black Birders Week. Um, Chelsea Connor is another herpetologist. She's at Chelsea Herps on Twitter. She's a science communicator, artist, and a member of Black AF and STEM, which you should totally follow if I didn't already say that. Um, she's also a PhD student researching diet overlap of two anole species at Midwestern State University in Texas. Uh, Sheridan Alford at Beanie Jean underscore. She's an environmental educator pursuing a master's of science in parks, recreation and leisure studies at the University of Georgia, looking at environmental outreach and education. Um, Deja Perkins at Naturally Wild with two underscores. Uh, is an urban ecologist and a psychomer. <laughs> She's also really cool. Ah, Brianna Amingwa uh, at ranger underscore Bree. She's a ranger for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, in Philadelphia at the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge at Tinicum. Danielle Beleni at Bells with a Z is birding. Um, is another wildlife <laughs> biologist. Um, Cassandra Ford at Cast the Fish, Cast with a K, is a PhD <laughs> candidate at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette studying evolution of electric fishes from South America Ooh. and Africa. Oh, damn. Which is what? really fucking cool. Um, and then the moderator actually of the black birding, um, or no, Birding While Black, the panels, uh, was Anna Gifty at its Afronomics. Um, and mm-hmm. she's a Ghanaian American researcher, writer, author, commenter, commentator, sorry, and activist who co-founded what's called the Sadie Collective, which is the only nonprofit organization addressing the pipeline and pathway problem for black women in economics, finance, mm-hmm. and policy. So she's an economist um and she's really cool and her takes on a lot of these issues are really interesting but she was also an incredible moderator for this panel um but yeah basically just a ton of really incredible women from lots of many diverse backgrounds and there were a lot of incredible men too but i tried to limit myself to the women (laughs) um i mean it just really shows that birds are for everyone you know and hearing so much passion about birds and then juxtaposing that with how hard it is for black people and how they can be limited by racism from experiencing the joy of birds um it was just inspiring and heartbreaking kind of in equal measures so Mm -hmm. if you haven't watched Mm -hmm. those i'd highly recommend it um but yeah I, i was just so grateful for all the people who really candidly shared their experiences that week to help inspire black and brown birders 
and outdoors people in general, but also to help educate us as white birders. Um, mm-hmm. I think we have mm-hmm. a lot of work to do, as we already said, to become better allies and better listeners and to work with Black folks and other BIPOC folks to build a better conservation ethic that's inclusive and that centers social and racial justice. Because I think that's really the only way that conservation is going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, just the last thing I had now that I've talked like straight for 15 minutes <laughs> is that <laughs> it's a feat. It is. It's hard to talk so much, but I mean, not when you have an amazing topic, I guess. But so Black Birders Week also inspired tons of other Black in STEM events, which is really cool. I don't know if y'all have been following these, but like there was Black in Astro Week, Black Botanists Week, Black in Neuro, Black in Chem. Um, black and marine science I'm sure I missed a lot there were a ton of them Um, but they're all really cool and so many cool people to follow on Twitter Um, so check it out Mm. yeah that's incredible (laughs) Uh, so nice to think about too in the year 2020 when this all started because yeah Kristen what you were saying about like how much joy there is and like being outside and being in wild places and being able to connect to other species like I think that got so many people through like the pandemic and the lockdowns and it just Mm -hmm. makes you realize how important that is and how everyone should have access to it Mm -hmm. and it really isn't the case right now so yeah I hope it's been Mm -hmm. eye-opening for a lot of people yeah I hope so I didn't realize there was like a separate pandemic on so like if you're a birder you probably are on several Facebook groups that are about birding and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that so many black folks have been shut down from talking about their experiences with racism while Mm -hmm. birding um -hmm. from those kinds of groups like they're like oh that's political we don't want to hear about it um yeah and that's really fucked like then you're not allowing people to share their experiences like Mm -hmm. yeah it's not okay it's not very no bueno birders are so gatekeepy sometimes they really are it's so strange yeah (sighs) well i'm glad you mentioned black botanist week uh kristen because i'm going to talk about one of the i think she was a keynote speaker Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so she, let's see. Um, so I'm going to be talking today about, um, Gloria Silvera Siemens, who is an urban ecologist and urban forest researcher out in New York. Like she's, she's written for a fuck ton of publications. Actually, she's got bylines in Audubon, uh, Urban Omnibus, um, PopSci, like, She's just kind of this huge force when it comes to, like, publishing and talking about uh, nature in urban spaces. Um, And she... Oh, she's just so cool. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to start at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, So she... she, uh, I'm sorry. I fucking did not say her name right. I'm mad at myself. Her name is Georgia Silvera Siemens, and I'm pretty sure I said Gloria. Sorry, Georgia. Um, I can read. Okay, so Georgia was born uh, and lived in Jamaica until she was 13 when she emigrated with her family to New York. Um, she graduated. Uh, I have too many tabs open here, and it's a problem. <laughs> uh, so she she graduated from New York, and then she went to um, Wesleyan University to get her BA in biology. She got her Master's of Environmental Management from the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, and then she got her PhD in Environmental Planning from the University of Berkeley back in 2010. So she went, yeah, she went to some insanely high-tier academic institutions, Mm -hmm. um, came back to New York, and started working as an urban forester and started a blog so she has this awesome blog called the local ecologist where she just talks about like the current projects that she's working on and does these uh really accessible pieces on what's going on with like trees in the bronx and she does this really cool she does really awesome research on like sudden i think she calls it 
sudden plant emergence Mm. in urban spaces which is a really cool way of saying the weeds that show up in city Uh, sidewalks i love that that. yeah (laughs) (laughs) right because like dandelions are so fucking cool and they show up everywhere and like yeah real there's not enough appreciation for things that we call weeds Mm -mm. i know um but she's also an incredibly influential birder and has this awesome program called Explore Birds, which encourages people to share their experiences with wild birds in the city and beyond. Um, so she would like take down the bird stories of these people and like publish them basically. Um, and it's allowed for a lot of people to share like the moving aspects of birds and like how it feels to see a bird in such an urban and like changed Mm. landscape that we don't normally think about seeing nature yeah Yeah. also so in this interview that i'm referring to she's talking about this podcast and i don't know if it's actually on like i don't know if it's actually live or not but if it is it sounds really cool it's called your bird story Uh. um (laughs) and it's cool because they just like have talked to people like bipoc folks who are just like anybody that has a really cool bird story living in new york city um to like encourage them to share what they've seen and what is meaningful to them about birds. That is and I think it's so, so cool that just cool. Right? Uh, I mean that's the best uh, part about being a birder, you know, is like sharing the stories of the cool experiences that you had and hearing mm-hmm. about the stories that other people have. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's really cool. That's amazing. Also there are so many people that I ask about their bird stories and like so many people cry when they talk about yeah. some of their most meaningful bird stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Uh. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has also founded, uh, Georgia has also founded the Washington Square Park Eco Project, mm-hmm. um, which I'm going to pull up on a separate tab. <sighs> I have to find which one it is. All of my tabs are like literally this small and I can't find what I'm looking for. The story of my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> okay. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay, okay, okay. So she is one of the founders of the Washington Square Park Eco Project, um, which aims to monitor biodiversity, design environmental education programs, and advocate for floral biodiversity. In this little 9.75 acre park uh, that is operated by New York City Parks and Recreation Department. Wow, so um, teeny. Yeah, but this park is insane. I guess at one point, I haven't done a ton of research on this, but this is on the this is on the website um, for Washington Square Park Eco Projects. Um, the park, the past lives of the park include uh a marsh a cemetery and a military parade ground whoa. in that order <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> wow yeah wait that's yeah. kind of bizarre are there still bodies huh. in the cemetery like that's a good question i don't know <laughs> um but they also talk about this park being situated on unceded lenape land mm-hmm. um which is really cool too mm-hmm. um but so she runs their urban and community forestry departments um, and her all of her research, including what she does at this organization, um, focuses on people plant relationships mm-hmm. and interspecies interactions between people and plants. Oh, that's and so cool. In an urban setting. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, if you think about it, some of these very urban areas and especially uh urban areas where uh non-white people live are very impoverished in terms of green space Mm -hmm. so even something Mm -hmm. that's small like this park is super huge and like just in having green space in a neighborhood Mm -hmm. yeah really significant Mm -hmm. I feel like there's maybe yeah. a growing understanding of how important green spaces within urban matrices are for biodiversity generally. 
It's super I mean, there's important like, for sure. Yeah, for biodiversity, but also just human health mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah, yeah, like mm-hmm. literal physical health, but also mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So totally. Sorry, Kristen, I cut you off. Oh no, you're good. I was <laughs> basically gonna say almost the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you you have to think about humans as biodiversity right i'm channeling my inner robin mm-hmm. walkimer <laughs> like we are nature like humans in nature i feel like there's this artificial barrier between the two but mm-hmm. hopefully why did none of us talk about robin kimmer oh, she's amazing <laughs> i, I still... want to read the book first yeah <laughs> i have uh, what is it braiding sweetgrass yeah i've mm-hmm. had it since mm-hmm. like may of last year and i haven't read it yet no, Ashley. And I need to. <laughs> <laughs> maybe after maybe after Qualls. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's valid. Yeah, yeah. Maya told me about this book literally within like two months of meeting her, and I was like, wow, and I still haven't read it, even though it sounded amazing. Well, we're <laughs> all slapping people about this book. Like random strangers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just pull people off from the street. Have you read Braiding no, Sweet Grass? She's just gonna life. be like a Bible thumper <laughs> on the corner. She's just gonna have a stack of them and hand them out to people that pass by. Wait, that would be so cool, though, actually. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay, there was one more thing I wanted to say about Georgia. Yes. Uh, Dr. Georgia, Silvera Siemens, uh, is that she wrote this awesome essay on Medium, which I highly recommend. It's so cool, and it's so enlightening, Um, and it's also very hopeful in some strange ways. It's called The Risks and Rewards of Being Black in Nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and she talks about, like, her own experiences of, like, feeling, like, proximal to nature, like, like, you, your relationship to plants and your relationship to nature can be so proximal and you're not feeling like you're directly involved with it as opposed to, like, in it. So it's kind of like your nearby nature is the term. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just talks about, like, her own experiences and being a BIPOC woman in these spaces and like how there are so many things that like she has to think about and that other BIPOC people have to think about that as white people, we just don't Mm -hmm. ever, it doesn't ever even occur to Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Um, But then she also has this really uplifting part where she talks about the rewards of like connecting with nature and how like some of it is like how it brings her back to like what she remembers in Jamaica Mm -hmm. and like growing up in such an incredibly biodiverse area like she talks about in i forget if it was in this essay but or in another one but she talks about how her mom had like a green thumb and how she would just like go out in her backyard and like pick from the fruit trees and everything like that and it just sounds like such a change growing up in that kind of space to going to new york city and the space that's so urbanized um it's just it's a very very cool read i highly recommend it i just pulled it up in another tab yeah. because i don't have any <laughs> tabs <laughs> i have too many tabs so many tabs i know yep, it's a problem oh that's so cool though georgia sounds fucking awesome Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is real fucking awesome. Um, she calls herself a rookie birder too, which I'm like, okay, hold up, you've been doing this for a long ass time. I'm sure you're not a rookie, but also like, that's pretty. Like rookie birder is just such a good. I know. Reason. Yeah, that's such like an academic thing to say too. Like that's I feel like that's what getting a PhD or even a master's really is. It's like realizing how much you don't know about these things that like if you just hear like a little tidbit about them, you're like, oh, okay, I understand that completely. And then once you actually, like, dive in the weeds, you're like, oh, shit, I know nothing, even though I've spent 50 years studying this thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right, right. Like, three years into a project, and you're, like, questioning everything. Uh, (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. We've all, all four of us have been there. Some of us continue to be there. Still there. Yeah. thousand percent still there. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh, Same. Man. Wait, does it go away, oh. Jen? That feeling? I feel 
I feel like I know a, I know a lot mm-hmm. about not being in grad school anymore at this point. Oh. And it's pretty great knowing a lot about not being in grad school <laughs> at this point. It's mm-hmm. honestly really reassuring for me to see y'all like living your post-grad school lives and <laughs> being like fulfilled and happy because it kind of feels like there's just no like it's hard to see what what's on the outside of this tunnel Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah you're so in it we should do another episode where we talk about what the fuck happens to you in grad school oh my god we should that would be so interesting i wish i knew the answer (laughs) well i feel like we have a cool like kind of perspective arc of it like we're all at different different points in the grad school not grad school Mm -hmm. little thing (laughs) spectrum spectrum, yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. for sure but yeah, that's all I have about Georgia. Um, shit's lit. Check it out. Yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. She sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah. So mine is sort of short, but I'm going to talk a little bit about um, a really awesome African-American woman named Rue Mapp, and she is the founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Outdoor Afro. Um, So this is a nonprofit that's dedicated basically to celebrating African-American connections with nature. Um, Let's see. Uh, Rue founded outdoor afro in 2009 um and sort of like the whole impetus for founding this was that like she grew up in a very outdoor loving family and then as an adult she would go on hiking trips and biking trips and just being out in nature and realize that she was the like only african-american person doing these sorts of events and Mm -hmm. being out in nature um and so she really wanted to get more uh, African-American people, black and brown people out into nature and being uh, like comfortable in outdoor spaces and feeling like they belong there. Um, because on a lot of cases, if you don't see other folks that look like you or if people are openly hostile towards you or even not so openly hostile towards you, then you you know, might not Mm want to keep going hiking or biking or birding or just Mm -hmm. interacting with nature. Um, So Outdoor Afro inspires volunteers and social media leaders to um, organize uh, basically outdoor events nationwide. Um, So there's like this nationwide network of thousands of people of all ages, um, there's nearly 80 different leaders in 30 states, and the whole theme is inclusive outdoor recreation, nature, and conservation. Um, and you can find local um, excursions on their website, which is outdoorafro.com. Um, and you can also apply to be a leader on their website as well um what else um yeah so another like big goal is to shift the visual representation of what being in nature looks like so Mm -hmm. a lot of times the visual representation of being in nature is white um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be just white it should be everybody Mm -hmm. Outdoor Afro has been pretty successful, it seems, in connecting these uh, sort of underrepresented groups to nature and, the you know, reaping the benefits of being outside. Um, she is also on Rue Map. She uh, is on the board of the Outdoor Industry Association. And the Wilderness Society, um, mm-hmm. um, and she's helping to shape uh, conservation initiatives in those two organizations. And she has also been named a National Geographic Fellow. So wow. oh, that's cool. pretty exciting. Cool. Wow. Yeah. 
that's awesome that she's getting all these accomplished yeah things. yeah <laughs> like, that her work's getting so recognized that's really cool yeah and so um if you are one of our listeners and you are a black or brown listener or african american um i encourage you to check out outdoor afro and connect with other folks to enjoy being outside um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah also they have a super cool website i wish they have an amazing (laughs) website it's awesome yeah, I am, like, so inspired to go, like, on a trail run or, like, rock climbing or some super, like, <laughs> awesome, badass, outdoorsy yeah. thing right now. No, like, it looks really amazing. Yeah. And, like, just looking at some of their events and stuff, they look amazing. Um, yeah. There's just a ton of ton of leaders all over the country. Just, it just looks really cool. I mean... You should, you should check it out if if you're into that um that's so cool i mean it sounds like a great place for beginners too like if you want to mm-hmm. get into something but you haven't done it before like mm-hmm. fuck yeah mm-hmm. that's really cool oh yeah, yeah oh. right right i made it sound super intense but also just yeah. like, <laughs> go hiking it's really fucking awesome yeah and- And, like, this isn't specifically, like, birding, but any sort of outdoorsy activities, you can probably find folks to go with. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Also just cool to see... (laughs) Shit! Over talk! (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) We're just, like, pointing at each other. (laughs) I just, like, punched my microphone. You should go first. Oh damn it! What was I gonna say? John, cut this! Cut this, please! I'm cutting it. It's you gone. always Goodbye. say that, and then you never do. Because you know why? It's funny. It's funny. <sighs> it's entertaining, and I laugh at it. If I laugh at it, it stays in, or it goes in our blooper episode. But it most likely stays in. Oh, I, I don't know. And it's really funny. I'm looking forward to, but maybe also equally horrified by the blooper episode that will someday yeah. come mm-hmm. to fruition. Well, you should, it's a lot. There's a lot about the cult that we have all joined. I'm just saying that. There's like oh three or four God, parts I about, the, about cult. the cult. <laughs> Wait, is it... Which cult is this? Is this the butter cult? It's, yeah. This is yeah. the butter the cult. Butter. The cult. butter cult. Oh my God. Wait, Okay. That reminds me that I brought an entire loaf of sourdough to St. Louis, and I didn't bring Kerry Gold, yes. and I've been really lost without it. Oh, no. I So oh, yeah. I didn't buy any more at the grocery store this week, and then I ran out, and I'm using regular old <gasps> cheap butter, and it's not the same. Yes! See, I am so, so glad you have come around to this. <laughs> yes! One of us. One yeah. of us. So... <laughs> Yes, it's good. Um, and I'm buying more at the grocery store, but also uh, my computer is like telling me it's too hot. So, no. oh no, we okay. should finish quick. Oh no, we'll finish it up. Okay. Um, did you have anything else to no, say about room map? Okay, told you it was short. Sounds like a baller. Yeah, Woo. Okay, I just have minimal shoutouts this week. Thank you everybody for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this first installment. Probably there will be a second installment next week about more awesome women BIPOC birders and and their organizations that they help run or run or just whatever the fuck they're doing it's great um okay so we have a shout out for our good friend Dexter Patterson or at I am Dexter Dexter. P on Twitter we have Alex Holt or at Alex J Holt on Twitter Bedoge de la Mondo or at Birdo Moj on Twitter uh bird note which what? is an awesome like what? two minute podcast oh my god <laughs> um for like if you have like a two minutes to learn about some awesome birds it's super cool they're at bird note radio and lucky k or at k lucky or at k clucky it's k clucky k <laughs> whoa <laughs> on twitter so yeah, thank you everybody for following. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Oh um, we appreciate all of you. I'm not over bird note. Me either. <laughs> That's so yeah, cool. Right? You should yeah. totally check them out if, if y'all haven't 
uh, not you all, but like, you know, the listeners, y'all, if you haven't done anything with bird note, you should check it out. There's so many cool bird facts. Mm-hmm. Oh, in yeah. such a quick digestible format. <laughs> I'm kind of terrified because they liked our tweet about um, one of our booby episodes. And I'm like, if somebody from Bird Note listens to that first, we are fucked. Nah, there's so many good booby facts. We're yeah, full of booby facts. there are. There are, but it's also, I think, a wild adjustment to go from Bird Note to a Flock Tales booby episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's Right, like the emotional whiplash of like poised and composed and articulate to us talking about boobies is just a lot of transition. script booby talk. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Unabridged, unabridged booby talk is what that was. Unabridged, yes. (laughs) Yes. Maybe there will be more one day. We'll get, we'll find more booby facts and be like, y'all need to know about this. Oh, these. I have. I got booby facts in stacks. Fat <laughs> <laughs> so stacks of booby facts. <laughs> oh, Is that so God. funny? Okay. Somebody needs to put our, our our handles out there so Ashley can turn her computer off and put it in the freezer. <laughs> Um, we're at, at Flocktails Hour. At Flocktails? No. Flocktail Hour. No. Flocktail Hour? Yes. On all of the things. <laughs> all of the social medias. Okay, no, I also... Okay, but like, we changed it after I learned it all, right. and then now I'm just, I can't... <laughs> we... Okay, Jen, we know this, we know what we're doing <laughs> Okay, okay. We are at Flocktail Hour on all of the social medias. We are at flocktailhour.com and send us an email at flocktailspodcast at gmail.com. Ayo. Yes. I'm so proud. I also (laughs) recently was informed that the way that we spell flocktails is confusing. So if anyone is wondering, it's tales like stories, like T A L E S. Yeah. Uh, Because it's not like cocktails. See, it's a play on words because it could be flocks with cocktails, but, and it is, but (laughs) it's also a bunch of stories and stuff. Therefore, tales. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It made perfect sense to me. It just got more confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Don't worry, I'll say I'll cut that part out and then I won't yeah, actually yeah, do yeah, it. So I'm gonna cut it out. <laughs> I'm making I am editing together some great content. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Jen, we're trying to fucking have a podcast here. <laughs> uh, I know, but you put me in charge of I know, editing. I'm so glad we did so, it. No yeah, <laughs> it's all good. I feel like this is when you're like, hey, you get what you get and you don't throw mm-hmm. a fit. <laughs> nope. I'm happy with it. No fit. Cool. Can we sign off? Are we done? Did I forget anything? Yeah, Great. we're done. I think we're <laughs> Yeah, we're out. Okay. I'm Maya Pershing. I'm Kristen Brunk. I'm Jen Schneiderman. And I'm Ashley Ola. <sighs> we'll see y'all and next that's time. That's the way the cookie yep. crumbles. Did I steal that? <laughs> I think I might have stolen that. Anyway. <laughs>